Hello and welcome to Cast Podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Thomas Brancato, host at MI Cynic, and I am joined by Efren Torres. Hello, my name is Efren Torres and I am Chief of Station, <laughs> precisely at Chief of Stations. This is a podcast of podcasts. Regarding your interview with Dr. Anthony Craig, University of Staffordshire, in uh, uh, your seventh episode titled Political Interference as Covert Action. Uh, this was actually another interview that Efren I really, really liked. I thought the um, the the feedback or the, the interview went very smoothly and, and you could tell that you were all having such great fun. So it was, it was a really good interview, that one. Oh, with Tony. So I've known Tony since uh, since 2008, right? So uh, it's been a while. Uh, he was actually my first intelligence instructor back when he was a PhD candidate at the University of Cambridge. Uh, and it was great. I, actually, it is through him that I, um, that I ended up studying intelligence. Uh, so when coming up with different candidates um, for for a podcast episode and immediately thought, okay, well, let's, let's get Tony uh, because uh, I know that he's teaching intelligence at Staffordshire university. And uh, I really miss his lectures. He was an, he, he is an incredible lecturer. So, um, and you can just sort of hear, hear him for days, can't you? Cause he, he has oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a very distinctive way of speaking, which I, <laughs> very alluring. He, he should be doing this with us. I think podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, when we met prior to the podcast, I mean, we we're trying to brainstorm for uh, about what topics uh, to to discuss, and then he mentioned, "What about political interference?" And I said, "Like, well, that is a a, a recent topic. Uh, you you hear a lot about it on uh, on the media. Everybody talks about it. Uh, from you know, Russia is doing it. Russia meddled in the politics. Political interference by Russia, but actually, nobody's uh, you know." saying that you know also other countries the united states great britain they have done it throughout history right? well i i learned about the ird in this and this podcast the information research department in the 50s trying uh, to separate stalinists from the this is great trying to there's a british um, institution the ird which i hadn't heard of in the in 1950s trying to separate the stalinists from the non-stalinists uh, w by using things like Animal Farm by George Orwell. Mm -hmm. And I had such a chuckle at that. I just picturing in my mind, I thought it was, was hilarious. I don't think they were very successful. <laughs> but uh, in, in typical British fashion, they, they certainly tried. It's, it's crazy. I mean, uh, and to me, this was, um, this was something that I, we needed to cover in, on the podcast, right? Because if, if, if <laughs> quote-unquote experts are to speak about Russia, uh, and, you know, the, their political interference, they also need to be speaking about what has been done in the past by the United States, and Great Britain, and, and others. I mean, there, there is a long tradition of, of this type of, uh, of interference that it is not a call for war, as Tony said. I mean, nobody has gone for war over this type of interference. It's more or less like you know that it's happening, but you don't know if it's been successful. Uh, and also you don't know if... It, it, like you don't know at what at, at what point you're actually going to be the next target, but you know you speak cognizant. And, and so much is politically sensitive, right? I mean, me, me, and you and I, we we grew up in, um, we were born and raised in in Latin America. Mm -hmm. uh, I went back there to do my dissertation, my master's 
dissertation on uh, CIA covert operations in the 70s in the region. I know that uh, Tony talked about this about a condor as well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that you can probably throw Ecuador in there somewhere as well. Uh, uh, you know, and but I, I think what I found in my studies was that so much of this is still uh, redacted. I mean, I mean, you look at some of the documents um, through the Crest archive, and you have like some that are just a, bl a blot of black with a, you know a tiny little white box that's uh, you know half of a sentence. Um, and and, yes. and why is the question? Is why I think one of the 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 answers has to be uh, because if the whole truth was to come out, um, there would be such a such severe diplomatic. Sentiments. Well, you're also going to protect sources and methods. <laughs> that's that's probably what you you'll get from from intelligence professional. I definitely agree with it. You need to protect sources and methods. The fact that something happened in the '70s doesn't mean that it's no longer relevant, right? So that's another reason. Um, but uh, you know, it's funny enough because I also did one of my dissertations when I was at Aberystwyth University on CIA cover operations in in Guatemala, uh, Chile, and Nicaragua as well. So. Um, uh, it, it is. It, it was very interesting uh, uh, listening to Tony speak about uh, the uh, cover operations in in Iran, right? And this is something that is not completely known. That they drafted that plan for for TPHX in in Iran, and that was used as the blueprint to uh, over, overthrow. Um, Hakko Award events in Guatemala, right? They follow this. That this is the golden era of this. Right? And of course, I'm not. I, I since then I've forgotten all the details, but I, I read a lot of, of, of books on it. But it's just the conclusion from this discussion was the main takeaway: um, the United States, um, driven by this fear of the red tide, you know, having communism on their backyard led to this, at least in, in Latin America, to this cover operations, the, uh, the, the establishment of, uh, of quote-unquote friendly dictators, but only looking through the short term instead of a long term. So mm -hmm. then you have political instability being created, right? In, in, and I'm not saying that the coup d'etat in 73 in Chile was 100% orchestrated by the CIA, right? But having uh, Pinochet storming into La Moneda and as a consequence, uh, Allende shooting himself, uh, killing himself with his uh, AK-47 uh, and then uh, I, uh, Pinochet taking over. This really created this, this culture of uh, uh, social unrest, this, this student activism. Because then you had in the following years, you had a lot of students being disappeared by the Pinochet regime, right? To this date, some people are still <laughs> marked as disappeared. You don't know if they managed to escape, they, they went to Argentina, or mm. if they were just killed. Um, but so th th this is why, you know, and this was, by the way, and I don't know if many people know this, but this was the first 11 of September. So this, the, the, the coup d'etat happened 11 of September 1973, which I believe was also a Tuesday. <laughs> just like the 9-11 attacks here in the States. Mm. Um, but because of that, uh, every 11 of September, you have uh, these marches all over Chile because, you know, it's just to uh, 
it's something that they do in commemoration of you know the, the victims that died throughout the Pinochet regime. And a lot of the times you have these sort of violent engagements with with the carabineros there in, in, in Chile. Not just on that specific date, but with every other demonstration. And this is a consequence, this student movement, this student activism, activism in general, uh, anar anarchism, um, this has developed as a consequence for, for something that occurred, a, a coup d'etat that maybe was not organized directly by a foreign power, but and, and you know, and it might do, do to do. It might have something to do with the fact that the that those wounds run deep. Um, you know, I can say from my experience as well, growing up in Latin America, the the process of reconciliation, uh, the process of healing, the process of uh, if, if not forgiveness, then remembrance at the very least. That takes generations, um, and oftentimes, our parents' generation that has to live through it. Um, will, you know, teach us in, in those values and in those political affiliations to our generation, and, and, some, and we might repeat that too. And so the point I'm trying to get to is that all over Latin America, uh, when you had a, a lot more active uh, a U.S. foreign policy that um, uh, that sometimes you know flat out uh, supported and orchestrated regime change. Um, and uh, regime change to the right, to the hard right, to the fascist right. Um, you know that has severe political implications, as as you suggested, not just then, but you know lingering to this day. And so immediately the question is, uh, well, there's there's many questions there, but one of the questions is, uh, was it even worth it then? Because okay, you know you you have a friendly government for a few years before a massive demonstration gets rid of him. Uh, and then what, you have to deal with 30, 40 years of complicated, fraught uh, bilateral relations. Did Tony talk about this? I mean, the, the, the fallback. It was, it was mentioned, but you have to also think about this as, as a, uh, a short-term solution for a big problem that will otherwise be more dangerous to deal with. In the case of, in the context of, of, of his uh, lecture was communism. Right. I mean, aside from the 2016, you know, we're talking about Cold War stuff as it happened during the, uh, the Guatemala um, uh, coup d'etat. So it, it was communism, the fear of communism. So replacing these different heads of states because they were left leaning individuals with uh, uh, with uh, other candidates that were merely more friendly towards the United States. So in the case of Guatemala, for example, there were a lot of uh, interest by the United Fruit Corporation. Right. They had a lot of banana plantations in Guatemala. Um, uh, Jacobo Arbenz wanted to nationalize the, the plantations and um, uh, give back uh, uh, the land to, um, uh, to, to the people. Uh, so what happened there? They saw that it may be a Russian, the USSR. So they used that to advantage because they were driving this, this narrative of, you know, they're going to ban religion. They're going to, and I believe they also use animal farm, but they use a, a, a heavy, um, they rely a lot on, on religion because it, it is a highly Catholic country, mm. Guatemala, in order to, to institute change, to change the mentality, uh, you know, psychological operations uh, against the current regime because it was left-leaning. Communism was coming. They're going to change the educational uh, curriculum. They're going to teach bad stuff. They're going to ban Catholicism. Um, and you're not going to be able to go to church. And that was a big thing. So 
um, the, the interest for the, the worry for them was we don't want any communists. We really have, you know, Cuba, the Cuban issue here. We don't want any more expansion of these sort of things here. But it's it's almost interesting how. I mean, how misleading some of these things can be because, you know, immediately it's interesting how in, in Guatemala, the Roman Catholic Church was understood to be uh, 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 pushing society to the left, I believe, is from what you're saying. In, in, but uh, I know that in the case of Argentina, the, the church is... Oh, no, no. So they, they were using, uh, the through the coup d'etat, they used the church, they used religion as a way to drive people from the left. To the right. To the, okay. to the right. They were, they were saying... This, this, this socialist, these communists, because you know they were using all these terms without making a difference. They're going to take away your uh, the freedom for you to to uh, exercise religion. They're going right. to impose these things. They're going to. It, it was it was away. weaponized. It, it was weaponized. Like 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 in any exactly like in any major coup d'état, religion uh, is is a powerful tool to change the mindset. And sometimes it, it's an independent actor that uh, that chooses a side. You know, there, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a whole, a whole body of uh, of a critique on the subject of the role of the church in uh, in Argentina and uh, dictatorship in Uruguay, Brazil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And certainly in Guatemala as well. It's um, you know, it, and and there the question is, you know, was it the pawn in in their game or? Uh, you know, did it take a decisive role by itself in, you know, the Pope deciding we want it to be this way or that way? Um, you know, that's that's a much more difficult question to answer. But I think where I where I was going with the question was sort of yes, you know, the the you know, the Cold War mindset, you have to understand it in those terms and, and you have to understand that uh, you know, for the United States it was part of a containment policy, et cetera, et cetera. Um I wonder whether the 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 communist over the taking Latin America threat from the USSR was ever quite as uh, realistic as uh, you know the CIA and the and the USA made it out to be, and you know how much of um, biased thinking went into uh, these decisions that ultimately have massive policy implications today. You know you're going to be ahead of the game. In, in 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 this international uh, community, if you're not, then you end up you end up with uh, something similar to the Soviet Union, right? And the quick expansion of this type of ideology uh, is what really worried the United States the most. So uh, it's better to to change things before they get worse, even if even if this means only doing it uh, with a a, a uh, not a long-term or medium-term, but a short-term solution, and then let let us worry about something else. But this is fixed for the time being. Hmm. But to the rise, like I said, it, it it was a way for them to uh, to keep the region intact. Yeah. But imagine they had already failed um, multiple times, especially with the Bay of Pigs in in right. Cuba to change the right. regime. Right? Um, so they don't. They didn't want another Cuba situation going on, right? So uh, this is what led to this sort of decisions. But again, uh, this this very limited scope on, they didn't, they didn't, or maybe, I don't know if they actually took that into consideration, what is going to happen 10 years down the line. I don't think that was in the radar at, at the time. Uh, as long as they kept the communists at bay, um, everything was fair game. But now what happens, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, 
now you have a lot of political instability in the region of the United States, a lot of poverty being created, a lot of inequality being created. And in, uh, it may not be obvious that all of this happened because of you know, a certain uh, military operation that overthrew a certain government, but it certainly has, has had some influence into, what, into the current state uh, in certain countries. Well, let's jump to the to the present moment. Um, can we speak about political interference today outside of a Cold War context? Um, this is, uh, and, and I guess, buried within that question is the the realization that um, we don't often hear about these events until 10, 20, 30 years after they've happened. You know, there's there's rumors, uh, and then you have to wait however many years before it's declassified, and then say, oh, you see, this did happen. But usually, I think as a rule of thumb, we don't know about political interference, you know, the day after it happens, because for obvious reasons. But does it still happen? Is it is it alive today? Information now is so much more accessible. And it's what I was referring to earlier about, you know, social media platforms being one of the contributing factors why we live in a much unsafer world than before. Uh, now, uh, as Tony mentioned, you know you can, you can really do an operation with n actually a very small budget. You can have these troll farms operating out of Russia, Ukraine, even within the United States, and target certain sort of demographics in social media. So political interference has um, has now reached a, a level where it's cheap to do. Mm. And it's more effective because mm. now, now you don't have to drop leaflets. Now you don't have to, to use black propaganda or anything like that. The only thing that you need to do is plant the seed because a lot of people don't read an article. They just read the title of the article. And already with the bias approach, they already draw their own conclusions without actually taking the time, reading the article, seeing if this is a, a you know, a, 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 not our audience, a, a source. Exactly. I'm, 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 I'm speaking about maybe <laughs> the, 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 the average social media user that is not, um, is not well versed with information, right? Or with uh, the nature of information, right? We're talking about people like my mother, right? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, people that would just see something on, on social media and they immediately will just share it on Facebook, Twitter, without actually reading and vetting the source. Is it reliable? Mm -hmm. So that's all it takes. Planting that information and that thing just replicates it. So it, it has this snowball effect, you know, and it, it's reaching new, new, new networks, new audiences. And it just, it's a cheap way to do it. And it's very, it has been, uh, I believe it maybe has been effective. I mean, we, we saw how divided this country has been in terms of politics, right? And then you see different media outlets, you know, speaking, you know, you know, having different narratives. Now, well, and, and here with Brexit, I mean, we can talk about, uh, you know, the Cambridge uh, Analytica and, uh, and we, even though they got off the hook by the, um, by the investigations uh, commissioner, um, saying that there was, there was no illicit activity, but the lines have certainly become blurry as to, you know, all of this happened at Trump's election and then uh, um, the DNC and the Russian hack and Brexit, all of that happened before there was a, a pretty much any kind of regulation as to uh, what can be classed as political advertisement in, uh, right. in Facebook in this case. Yep. And, you know, it, it, it's extremely hard. I, I cannot imagine 
uh, this this challenging task for uh, for tech companies trying to keep this sort of like trolls from um, sharing this uh, this type of, of information. Uh, but just keep this in mind uh, that if these trolls, if these foreign governments doing trying aiming at interfering interfering within the local politics of, of of a country, if they are successful influencing somebody's opinion, say the average Joe. That person is then going to tell his best friend who also shares his views, and that starts replicating itself. Mm. So it, it it doesn't take much for it to to actually be effective. Now that doesn't mean that you know the whole country now is being manipulated by Russia. It just means that you know again, as Tony mentioned, nobody has ever gone to war for something like this. It's it's not a cold war. war. <laughs> you're never. I don't think. Well, yeah, you're, you're not going to see uh, uh, embassies being closed. <laughs> For, for something like that. Well, I certainly hope not. But you know, this is this is actually a point that uh, that, that Tony made, of course, that um, that you're talking about now. That I, I've always struggled with. I've always struggled with. Um, I think it was uh, Manuel that you've mentioned. Uh, I'm not sure if I if I uh, we we gave an imaginary name to the 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 dude that uh, reads only the headlines of things and then goes and tells uh, Joe. Uh, about yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you might very well be right, but I've always struggled with that because, uh, you know, from a young age, I was a stubborn little boy that uh, always, uh, you know, uh, refused to give the right to other people and you know, talking over my teachers, you know, uh, and, and but that's shaped who I am today. High, you know, cynic, am I cynic and uh, s- stubborn, but also very thorough. You know, it's hard to convince me of anything. I need to see the proof. I need to study it. I need to, uh, you know, think about many different ways that you can approach something. Uh, and then, you know, I'll only reach a definite answer on, on the complicated things if I uh, have the full picture in front of me. Um, and that's the kind of family environment that, that I came from. So it's always been very difficult for me to accept the claim that, oh, you know, Russia hacked an entire election and swayed the minds of millions of people. Um, you know, even if it's through Facebook ads or whatever, or, or misleading headlines or, you, you know, Breitbart news or whatever it is. I've always had a, a very difficult time understanding this. Um, how, how do you, how do you think of it differently? Do you have a hard time understanding it? <laughs> it, it really depends on the topic, right? Um, I certainly, uh, when I, when I hear something on, on the media, um, I, I I like also whether you know it's right leaning or left leaning or maybe somewhere in the middle. I like to also check the the, the different uh, what what the others are saying, right? Mm-hmm. Because right now it's 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 just so divided that you have you know the conservative media and then the liberal media. They call it. I don't like tags. I don't like labels. But I guess that's what they're calling each other now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to learn about each other. I mean, as as somebody who. Uh, who deals with information all the time? I need to know both sides of the coin, and then uh, obviously conduct my own research and then uh, reach my own conclusion. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the vast majority of people they only stick to one side, mm. right? But the, and that ha- that might have a lot to do actually with how the human brain works. It didn't evolve a sense of truth uh, fr- from uh, in an abstract sense. It it learned to appreciate facts. Uh, and and uh, understand data um, in in a social setting. So it wasn't important to be right for the sake of being right. You know, f- f- back in our caveman days, the important thing was 
that everybody else in the tribe uh, would agree with you and that you were all, you know, we, we all thought the sky was red, and, you know, and it might be blue. But anyway, the important thing is, you know, I'm not going to be put crucified in front of everybody because I said the sky was yellow. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, anyway, that's taking a complicated thought of evolutionary psychology and reducing it to just a sentence. But to go back to, to the point that you were making earlier, I think where, where we can relate back to, to, to this aspect of how we interpret data. And of course, it's part of our profession, it's part of what we do. And actually, I think this is an unsung praise of studying intelligence and working in this field, is that uh, we almost become experts at analyzing data of double checking, triple checking sources, and, um, and maybe hopefully becoming uh, more critical, independent thinkers as a result of that. Well, you, we are in the business of information, right? And unless you're in the business of information, then you wouldn't necessarily know um, how to approach this. Now, think of this for a sec. The golden era of television in the United States where you had um, uh, the media, and the media was just reporting the facts at the time. And then you had very credible journalists reporting the facts. Trusted yeah, people trusted these these pers TV personalities, right? Now, if you see the evolution from from that type of journalistic reporting, objective or obviously you cannot be one hundred percent objective because you're a human being, you're biased. But you know, closely, you know, try to to reach uh, objective standards. To now having uh, news networks giving an opinion instead of reporting the facts. I mean, the only time where I see reporting the facts is when there is a developing story about something that happened. But when it comes to politics, it's no longer conveying the facts. It is now an opinion driven by, you know, an agenda based on, on the on the network, right? It, it, may, yeah. it may be right, right wing, left wing, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And the desire to sell, right? I think that's what they all have right. in common. They, they, they have their target audience, right? So. And, and that's and that's wrong. So you have people that grew up with these TV personalities back in you know in the 80s, 70s, 60s, right? And so they, they're accustomed of trusting these TV personalities, right? And so they have the same approach. So let's say that somebody, let's say that CNN or Fox, for example, you know, they trust because it's CNN. They trust them because it's Fox, right? But it, it's, it's not the same. You cannot have the same approach anymore. You know, it, again, in, information now has become so we have an overflow of information. It's so challenging trying to digest all of this. And with so many opinions being conveyed on different platforms, it's at times extremely challenging to see what is a fact, what is an opinion, what is a planted, quote-unquote planted fact, you know, a lie designed to influence uh, somebody's point of view. Um, it's difficult. And I think it will certainly be interesting as new forms of uh, accessing and digesting and analyzing news provided by social media, how that will fit into an, an already difficult equation between the media and the government. Um, you know, people are people are consuming news in a different way now, and I think that's going to become um, more entrenched as we go on. Uh, there might be a generation growing up now that won't ever have heard news on a television or certain or, or you know or just that that's just not how they consume it and and that's going to open a whole series of questions and where it relates to to tony's uh, interview what your your interview with tony is um 
you might open an entire new series of questions of, uh, okay, can the political interference uh, covert ops of tomorrow be undertaken uh, using the social media news uh, and, and you know, in, in new ways, in more profound ways, in, in more invasive ways, and in less trackable ways? I think that's something to, to definitely keep an eye on. Well, yeah, it's already, it's already happened. That's how they're doing it right now. That's uh, the... That's, I guess, the standard of how you operate. Like as you say, you know, new a new generation uh, is consuming information in a different way. But at the same time, I feel like the new generation is also very well aware about the nature of information. Mm. So the problem right now is you have um, uh, the older generation that get persuaded easily because they never dealt with this information manipulation, not to this extent through this social media platform. But now you have this new generation that it's it's more tech savvy. They understand they they've heard about scandals like Cambridge Analytica. You've they've heard about the the, the Russian uh, uh, troll farms oh, and the bots and 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 so on. So they're more cognizant. They're aware. But at the same time, again, it goes back to this issue of they're either conservative. They only digest conservative news, or they 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 digest only liberal news. Uh, I feel like a small portion, um, they like to see both sides. Mm. But right now, uh, again, it's, it's a war of opinions. Either you are with them or you're against them. And that really hurts uh, the integrity of information that is being conveyed on, on, on social media platforms. Well, Efren, I thought your, your interview with, uh, uh, with Dr. Craig was uh, fascinating. In fact, I think all, all of the interviews that we briefly touched on today uh, uh, were fascinating, and um, I cannot recommend them enough. So if uh, anybody listening in today has not uh, had a chance to look at those interviews, I do do very much highly recommend uh, going through them and giving them a listen. But uh, for now, I'm going to talk your ear off if we continue further. So uh, I think it might be best if we, if we leave it there for the time being. And uh, uh, the next time that we do this, uh, hopefully I will have uh, some of my episodes up that... Um... Uh, you, you're, leaving, you're leaving me hanging, man. <laughs> I really, I'm really looking forward to listening to your podcast and um, interviewing you about, you know, it's, it's more like a follow-up what we're doing here, right? A lot of these topics, uh, because of the time restrictions, were, there's so much to be, to be addressed and you only have so much time. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's a great way. And, and yeah. of course, uh, to, to the audience listening to, to us today, don't forget to check out um, MI Cynic. Uh, hopefully, he'll have his audio <laughs> uploaded by the time you listen to this. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll see. But um, it is slowly but surely coming together. But uh, yeah, definitely. And the only thing I would add to that is, you know, when, when we're talking about uh, experts such as uh, Dr. Craig, uh, Harrison Walker, uh, Dr. Carrera, uh, you know, it's it's so, I mean, we you could just stay on one line as, as we did now that, you know, opens up a whole other, you know, interview really, uh, because they're, they're such clever uh, people. Uh, and I think one, one of the purposes today that I had in mind for, for this series is, okay, you know, let's just grab one little thing that they said, <laughs> you know, and just, and just, oh, uh, God, you, know, dude. you and I can go on forever about these things, yeah. but, uh, look, I, I'll try to get Rafa next time for, uh, for, for this crossover. Uh, and then, you know, we can discuss because he has, uh, a, he has a very interesting, uh, and very, uh, um, 
constructive way of approaching things. His perspective is, is unique and, uh, and it's something that is uh, absolutely valuable uh, to listen to uh, when you ask him about He's a very good analyst. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'll get him uh, for, for the next, uh, for the next uh, crossover. Great. Well, I cannot wait for the the next time we uh, we delight our audience with this. And uh, for now, thank you so much for uh, for completing the our first cast podcast. I hope our audiences have uh, have enjoyed uh, this chat, and uh, we're very much looking forward to the next time we uh, we get together. Roger that. Thank you for listening. We'll stay in touch with the audience. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cast. Podcast. This series is co-hosted by myself, Thomas Brancato, host of MI Cynic, and my exceptional colleague, Efren Torres, host at Cheese Station. If you enjoyed this conversation, please stay tuned for more as we continue our collaboration in the future. Likewise, you can find a regular podcast over at MI Cynic and Chiefs of Station, respectively. Please feel free to reach out to us for your comments and feedback regarding this episode by visiting ghost-intel.com or micynic.com or simply by using your favourite search engine. We hope you're looking forward to our next episode and wish each of you a great day.